0: To another episode of the Cardboard Herald, my chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. And joining me once again is fellow podcaster, the host of Board Game Design Lab, Gabe Barrett. Welcome back to the show, man.
1: Jack, so glad to be
0: here. Really appreciate you having me back. Yeah, well, we're talking about all the games that you're making. I mean, you have been running this podcast, picking people's brains about designing and developing and publishing all sorts of games. And here we are with a pair of games that are coming to Kickstarter. Why don't you give me the nutshell on what this project, Hunted, is all about?
1: Yeah, so for this campaign, it's, uh, it's launching a series of solo games. Where you are a, an action hero, you're a person, you're a character that's trying to make it out alive, right? And so the each game will put you in a different scenario where some overwhelming force, whether it's aliens or terrorists or whatever, they're trying to get you, and uh, you're trying to to save your friends, save the hostages, save your wife, whatever the game you know style is, and uh, make it out alive with the without the the bad guys winning.
0: Well, I feel a bit like Bayorn in The Hobbit right now, because I'm like, you call two a series? So this (laughs) is two games that's going to be coming to this Kickstarter, but you're going to have several down the road. Is that the plan?
1: Yes, that is definitely the plan. Hopefully this Kickstarter goes well, and uh, people tell me, you know, basically people raise their hand and say, hey, I like this. This is cool. I want more of it. Uh, I've already got four other games in development that I'm working on. Different, yeah, different themes, different mechanisms. You know, The the gameplay of each game is going to be very, very different. Uh, but they all have a, a running kind of similarity in the core mechanism. We can talk a little bit more about, about that in a minute. But so there's the core mechanic links all the games but the theme, the art, the gameplay is going to be totally different for each one. Uh, and but yeah, it's something that I've been working on for a while. And I'm, I'm really excited about.
0: Are they thematically connected in any way? Like, is it different settings, but maybe this is like a shared universe type of thing? Or is it just Hunted is a mechanical lineage between these games in the series? And other than that, who knows what's going to happen?
1: Yeah. Right now it's just the mechanical one. And so, uh, we got mining colony 415 and that's a science fiction one. You're, it's in space. You were, you know, in hypersleep and all of a sudden you were aroused from your sleep because of a distress beacon and you kind of, you know, took your ship down to this, this mining colony and, and all hell broke loose, right? All the aliens, uh, showed up and they try to rip you and your crew limb from limb and now you got to escape back to your spaceship and get out of there before the whole thing explodes then you have Koyashi Tower where you know you're just a regular guy uh, you got a little bit of a military background though cuz it kind of gives you an opportunity to be an action hero if the if the opportunity ever arose right and uh, you were just visiting your wife. She was working in, in this big Kobayashi Tower, this big skyscraper, and t- all of a sudden terrorists showed up and took over the whole thing. You managed to escape, but they took her, took a bunch of other hostages, and now you have to work your way through the building, trying to rescue your wife, trying to save the day while the terrorists try to hunt you down. And so the games are very, very different thematically, uh, but then you know have some similarities with the mechanics.
0: I'm digging on some thematic similarities and maybe some of the inspiration here. I mean, I don't think <laughs> it's too much of a stretch to say that possibly someone who... Watched action sci fi horror genre movies of all types in the 80s and 90s, might see this as maybe an homage or a bit of inspiration from movies like Aliens or Die Hard. Is that fair to say?
1: I can neither confirm nor deny uh, any of these accusations, but uh, yeah, basically, (laughs) it's (laughs) taking some of my favorite things in pop culture and mixing them together and, and kind of creating a game out of it. You know, one thing I love about a lot of those movies. Is the experience kind of like you're on the edge of your seat? You know, you're like, what's going to happen next? I'm pretty sure the hero's going to make it out. I'm pretty sure they're going to save the day, but how in the world are they going to make it happen? The odds are so stacked against them. And so I wanted to make games that you felt the same way. You know, they are solo games. I've had people say, well, why didn't you add a way for it to be two player, for it to be co-op? It's like, oh, that's not that's not what I want. You know, Uh, if you think about a lot of these action movies, it's it's that hero or nobody, right? Right. There's nobody else there, and there's nobody else to kind of help you out. Maybe there's some supporting characters here and there, but for the most part, it's it's on their shoulders. To, to make uh, to, to save the day and so I wanted the, the players to have the same feeling you'll play in the game and every it's a tense game it's a push your luck style game so you're turning over cards and you're never sure is the next card going to be the, the next location that I need to get to to progress in the game or is it going to be an alien there trying to, trying to eat my face off and so you're always pushing <laughs> your luck you know but uh, you're by yourself and, and I think it's the kind of game where you can Get some cool background music going, you know, turn the lights down low a little bit, especially in October. Right. And you get these aliens and make it dark and you can have a lot of fun just making it really uh, an experience of a game.
0: Okay, so Mining Colony 415 is a dexterity game and Kobayashi Tower is a dice rolling game. Why don't you talk about this core mechanical union that they have, the 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 core mechanical conceit that they're going to be interpreting through these separate styles of game
1: yeah so these are they're all card games uh and you have your your big hunted deck the big stack of cards there and there's gonna be a row in front of you and you're gonna be turning over cards right so your typical push your luck style game where you're gonna turn over a card and they have to make a choice right do i want to keep going or do i want to stop right and uh keep if you keep going you're gonna turn over another card and see what happens now the way all the cards play off of each other every card is multi-use Right? And so you have icons on the left side which are basically your currency they give you different actions you know, it might be movement it might be a key it might be a search thing you know something like that and then each card in the bottom right has what the card cost right and so you're having to balance out okay do I want to use this card for its currency or do I want to use this card to like get the activation like this card gives me a grenade so I want to add that grenade to my inventory but that means I have to find you know I have to use other cards discard other cards from the row to do it right and then a lot of cards have noise you want to really avoid noise you make too much noise the terrorists they know where you are you make too much noise. The the aliens they, they they can figure out how to come eat you. And so you're always pushing luck of like, okay, I've got you know noise icons in the row. So if I draw an alien, it's going to attack me. And so do I want to do that or do I want to hide? And you can always hide clear the row. It's going to burn time. You know you're in a limited amount of time. You only got 20 time units. For each game, you know, if you run out of time, you're dead. The terrorists escape, they take your wife with them, or the the whole colony blows up, whichever game you're playing. And so you're always trying to balance out, okay, do I want to spend time and avoid these things, or am I going to push my luck and and draw one more card hoping it's not an alien, hoping it's not a terrorist that's going to try to kill me? So that's kind of how the core mechanism works. And then the dexterity and the dice rolling comes in for different tests and combat and events and things like that.
0: Well, I get dice rolling, man. I mean, that 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 makes sense. I played lots of solo games that have dice rolling in them. But how did you crack the code, you know? How did you actually make a dexterity game fun to play solo because that's such a it's it's a genre game, a style of game that I equate to the this fun anticipation of everyone standing around the, the table and waiting to see, did the shot work out or did it not? Mm-hmm. And, and how are you maintaining that level of suspense and glee that comes out of Dexterity Games? And also, what do you do to mitigate people who might feel self-conscious about doing some sort of dexterity activity while playing a game all by themselves?
1: So as a designer, I've, I've got this big page, a couple pages in, in my, my d- design notebook. It's all the different mechanisms that I want to I design with one day, right? Different ideas, different things I've seen maybe in other games or just ideas I've had, you know, in the shower. You know, it's like, oh, man, that'd be cool. I mean, I to if I could design a game with that idea one day. Mm-hmm. And so in that notebook there was this idea of basically using the game's box and having something printed in the box and you have to throw a token into the box for something to happen, right? And so that idea has been in my head for years. And so I was working on this game. I knew it was going to be alien-themed and, you know, kind of you're on the run. You're trying to get back to your spaceship and the aliens are trying to eat you. And I was like, okay, I could do combat this dice. I mean, you know, like you said, tons of games do that. Dice work really, really well. It's tried and true. I was like, well, what about that idea I had years ago for a, using the box. And so I was like, okay, what if I put, what if I printed a picture of one of the aliens in the box and there's a circle around it and you have to throw tokens into the box and try to land them in the circle to get hits, right? And different weapons give you give you different size tokens, different shapes of tokens. You know, grenades can be pretty big. Whereas your your you know your machine gun you start off with, it's got a little smaller token. And so you've got the balance there. Uh, and then for this game, you, you have to determine, all right, how many, how many rounds am I gonna shoot in this round of combat? Because well, ammo is very, very limited, right? And so let's say you need – there's two aliens you're trying to kill. Well, I mean if you're really good, you can only shoot twice, you know. <laughs> but if you're not so good, maybe you want to shoot four times. But that's going to use up twice as much ammo, right? And so you're having to really balance out, okay, I don't have much ammo and, and what am I going to do? And that's where a lot of the tension comes in, right? So you've only got one shot left and and there's that one alien. It's like, okay, this has to land a hit. Otherwise, I'm dead. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> the alien eats me and I turned into a host and I become an alien. So <laughs> how it works. And so it, it gets really tense and there's some really cool, fun moments of, of you really, you're, you're, you know, eyeballing it. You have that one eye. You know, you're like a, a quarterback trying to thread the needle to score the touchdown as time runs out kind of thing. And you're tossing that token in and if it lands – in there, you're good. If it doesn't, you're dead. And so it's it's created some really fun moments as a dexterity game. And it's also super thematic, right? If you mm-hmm. think about it, if you're in one of those situations, uh, if you miss, you're dead. <laughs> right? The alien gets you. And so it, it's also a cool way to, to do it. And it's, it's skill-based. You know, there's not a lot of uh, games out there like this that are skill-based. Or most of them are luck-based with, with card draws and dice rolling and things like that. And so it's also just kind of a different way to take things. And I know it's not for everybody. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do two games for this Kickstarter is because a lot of people aren't into dexterity and that's cool. And so there's also the the dice rolling version. We can talk about that in a minute for anybody that's not into dexterity, but I would, I would definitely encourage people to give it a shot. Uh, It's not your typical dexterity game. This is not Jenga. You know, it's nothing like that. This is a lot more to it. It's a lot more thematic than, uh, than people realize going in. And it's been cool to see playtesters try it out and then come back with feedback and go, wow, this was so much different than I thought it was going to be as a dexterity game. And you know, a lot of them are really happy that they played it.
0: First, no hate on Jenga. Come on. It's a classic. (laughs) Jenga's got a lot going on, you know? Absolutely. You can can imbue a lot of theme into Jenga. In fact, a bunch (laughs) of RPGs have done some really interesting things with Jenga Towers. But... I did want to talk about the playtesting, which you just brought up. Were there any unique challenges in the blind playtesting for a dexterity game or any playtesting in general? But I'm more interested in you just saying, hey, here's this game, figure it out and
1: seeing what the results of that were. Yeah, so one thing that's always a challenge. Like you can do print and plays. You know, there's lots of people that love, you know, print games off, and, and they'll give you great feedback because they do not they, they enjoy the arts and crafts side of things. They love the DIY, right? Mm-hmm. But with a dexterity game, you're having to do a little more, ex- do a little extra, because now you have to print off the, the, the tokens, and they have to—you know you can't put those on paper. Right. So you can't just throw a little piece of paper in the box. That doesn't work. And so it's required uh, playtesters to do a little bit more. But on the on the other side of things, the people that are invested enough to do that, to go that extra mile and do the, you know, extra tokens and things like that, they, they 100% play it, right? They're, they're already invested to, to do, to put in the time to make it, so they're going to put in the time to play it and they've, they've given me some pretty good feedback. also had a guy that turned the game into a, a tabletop simulator version, and it's got some interesting physics. The way the physics work inside the game, you can throw tokens and <laughs> yeah. I, I was super surprised. I was like, I didn't know you could do that in tabletop simulator, but it works out pretty well to be able to toss tokens and whatnot in there as well. And so that's been super helpful to get feedback. And what's cool about that guy, he he films all his playtests, and so I've seen. I've been able to watch uh, him play through the game, and you know, I've, I've been able to take notes on. Oh, okay, that rule. He got that wrong. How can I make that a little clearer in the rulebook or how do I make this concept a little bit tighter or you know, a little more uh, – a little easier to remember, things like that. And so Playtestin has actually worked out really well.
0: And the Kickstarter campaign, is that going to have a, an option where you can either buy into one or the other or is this a pair and that's the only way you're getting it?
1: Yeah, it's one or the other. Uh, you buy one game for 19 bucks. You can get both of them for 35, or you can go all in and you get uh, both games a playmat, double sided playmat.
0: Oh, uh,
1: yeah, no, right? Uh, card sleeves, the whole thing. It's gonna be about 50 bucks. So it's kind of whatever you want, a la carte.
0: That's that's awesome. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. So let's talk about the the dice mechanic. Like, what what sort of innovations do we got going on here?
1: Yeah, so it's similar in that. Every round of combat, you have to choose. Okay, how many shots am I going to take? Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're, you, you start off with a handgun. It's got four rounds of ammunition. Am I going to shoot once? Am I going to shoot twice? Am I going to roll three, four dice? How many dice am I going to roll? Trying to hit this terrorist. Maybe it's two terrorists, whatever. And now you're up to the luck of the luck of the dice, right? And so, you know, you're trying to hit target numbers and things like that. And as you get different weapons, then you get different odds. So when you find a machine gun. It, it rolls D8s. And you find a shotgun, it rolls D10s. Right. And so you have a much higher chance, but you have more limited ammo capacity. And so it kind of balances out that way. Uh, grenades can hit multiple targets. So a grenade, you throw a D8, but let's say you're trying to hit a four and a three on your target numbers. Well, if you roll a seven or eight, then you kill both of them, right? So the grade uh, can can take out multiple bad guys at a time. And and so it's really about the dice changing size, changing in the ratios and things like that. And there's all sorts of cards that give you more dice or give you re-rolls. That's, that's another big challenge in the in the design of, of a dice-based game. You got to do stuff that gives people more options, right? More chances to mitigate things. It might cost them a little more time, but it gives them more uh, assurance, basically, that they're going to have better roles or opportunities to re-roll and things like that.
0: You got to have them opportunities. You got to give some yep. mitigation, man. You got to make people feel yep. good. Now, can you think of any of the interviews that you've done on your podcast that had like a direct specific impact on the development of either of these games or the series as a whole?
1: Yeah. So actually there was a, a game that um, – oh, it was, about, it was like Dino Basketball, I think. It was a Dexterity game. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of one of the things that sparked the idea that I I'd had in my head forever about the whole, have the image in the box and you throw the token in there. It sparked that idea again. And I bet you that sparking kind of led to this later, right? And it was right, a right. Good, good time afterwards. It wasn't any, any time close, but you know, it's funny how ideas will come back around and they'll sit on the back burner and one conversation will bring things back up and things like that. Uh, that was a big one. And then talking to Morton uh, Peterson, who does all the Automa stuff for uh, Stonemaier Games, that right. was a really great episode. Uh, talking to... Uh, the guy that designed Dawn of the Zeds, which is one of the best solo games ever made. You know, I was actually, it was cool. I, I was actually able to go back and re-listen to those episodes and gain more information from from people who had already done it. People that are experts in the field. And so that was super helpful as well as I was trying to go back and figure out, okay, for my own game, like, you know, I, I've been designing multiplayer games forever. It's like, okay, well, well maybe some solo modes or solo Variants, whatever, but to design a purely solo game is a whole nother animal And so I did everything I could to research and make sure I was doing it uh, in a way that would be super fun But also different from all the other ones out there
0: Speaking of solo modes, you know, I'm going to admit something here and I I have a feeling maybe you're like me in this regard but like initially when I Started getting really into tabletop gaming and not just like the CCGs that I played forever Mm -hmm. but like getting into modern board games the idea of playing a solo mode, I was like, "Eh, I see why some people might like that, but that's not for me." You know, that, yeah. that, that's for other people. For me, gaming is a social experience. I do it right. in order to participate in a, a physical experience with my friends, my family. It brings us together. Like solo board games, I mean, at that point, why wouldn't I just play a video game? Until I did it, and there were a couple games that really made it click and make sense, and now almost every game that I'm reviewing, or even if it's a game I'm not reviewing, I'm at very least interested in checking out the solo game. And sometimes when I have a night to kill, the rare, <laughs> rare extra time that I have, and I have anything I could possibly do in any number of hobbies, I could play music, I could watch TV, I could play video games, I could read some books, sometimes I'm like... Dude, I think I'm going to just like knock out a two hour solo sesh of Spirit Island. I don't know. And I, I, I love that this is completely like recontextualize how I view games in general. Were you having a similar experience where initially you were kind of snobbish, so to speak, regarding solo games, or were you on board right away?
1: Yeah. It, again, very similar to your uh, situation where it's like, okay, I play games to hang out with friends. Uh, I want to do this as social activity to have fun with, with other people around the table. I did appreciate solo variants or solo versions for games because it would allow me to learn the game mm-hmm. up front that I was yeah. going to maybe try to teach later on. And so I could play the game you know, without having to play two hands you know, or two factions. I could, I could just play the game legitimately and then learn how to play and then teach it later, which was super helpful. Uh, but then, <laughs> my, so I live in Honduras and uh, I've got some good friends down here, but my the best friend I had in the country. We play games all the time, and and we designed games together, and it was great. And then he had the audacity to move back to the United States. How dare! And you. so oh, I know, right? And so all of a sudden, I found myself without my 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 main guy, you know. And it's like, well, what do I what do I do now? And my wife and I we'll we'll play games together, but there's a lot of games she's not super into, and uh, so solo games have allowed me to kind of still scratch the same gaming itch uh, without you know, anybody else there. And that, that's been great because a lot of times these games are, they're puzzling, you know, you're, you're trying to f- crack the code, you're trying to figure out, okay, how does this work? And uh, it's, it's been really fun just to, like you're saying, just sit down, play a game for a little while, leave it out if I need to, right, come back to it in a little while, I don't have to worry about anything. And then, uh, yeah, still scratch the gaming itch even though other people can't join me.
0: Solo modes is a different thing than designing an entirely solo game. So what sort of opportunities do you think you have in a fully solo game that you wouldn't otherwise have in a a multiplayer design game that you're happening to design a solo variant
1: on? I just know this from experience. When you're designing a solo mode, you're trying to make the game just as fun as it would be with other people around the table. But a lot of times you're having to water things down. You're having to make the AI play oddly like it's very difficult to make the ai play like a normal human would right Mm -hmm. a lot of times you're drawing cards and it's random and their their actions are sporadic or they gain points kind of in different ways and so it's the game mostly but it's not really the game right there's different parts of it or there's some games that just don't even scale like you can't even scale down to one player at all without playing extra factions extra hands things like that and that's not super fun either Uh, and so when you design a solo game strictly solo you can kind of throw that stuff out. You don't have to worry about scaling it. You don't have to worry about watering it down or making it fit or making it work or trying to make it fun at that player count, you know, or as fun or almost as fun as it would be at four players. You can just dive all the way in and, and, there's a lot of interesting choices you can make. Also, you don't have to worry about downtime. You don't have to worry about, you know, analysis, paralysis. A lot of the issues that you run into with a, a multiplayer game that you're wanting to speed the game up, you're wanting to make sure turns go quick. You don't want people just sitting there staring at the board for ten minutes. Well, now they can, because they're by themselves. They're not pissing anybody off. <laughs> they're just by <laughs> themselves. You know, there's nobody across the table glaring at them like, Would you go? Take your turn or you know, on their phone or whatever. And so there's some really cool things that you can embrace. When it's a solo-only game that you have to avoid, when when it's a multiplayer game.
0: What about the inverse? There are things that you definitely want to avoid, like traps that can come up while you're designing a
1: solo game. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, man, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that that angle. That's a good question. Let's let's talk through that. What what are some things you would think? Because I haven't run anything. I thought where I've, it's like jumped out at me, and it's like, oh, okay, this is very obvious. It's like, what what do you what do you think?
0: Well, I mean. I think that if I were designing a game that's intended to be played entirely solo, I think that I would start with doing something relatively small and compact because you you want this to be something that can be used in many different situations because you have a a limited player base of people who are going to be picking up a solo-specific game in the first place, so you want that... As many of the people who might be interested in that style of game, that they are going to be able to accommodate that game through time and space, which is, you know, a precious commodity for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. That is something I did really think a lot about on the front end. It's like, okay, I want this game to be a certain size. I want it to be a certain price point. I want it to last a certain amount of time that fits kind of in that solo game niche, right? And so, you know, you'll notice a lot of solo games are not very expensive. Most solo games are only cards. You know, the most solo games, you, the setup is super quick because again, you're having to think through, okay, if I'm playing a game with four or five other people and it takes 20 minutes to set up, one, they can help, right? There's other people there that can kind of help me set things up to speed it up. Uh, and two, we're we we're all in this. And so the investment feels a little more spread out. You know, If I, if I paid $100 for a game, but I can play it with five of my friends, well, that makes a little more sense than paying $100 for something I'm only going to experience to by myself. And so there's a lot of things to think about from the product standpoint uh, that maybe you wouldn't have to think about as much if it's for a, a big multi-part game.
0: I think the other thing that personally I, I would – I guess th- this is a your assumption. So th- this is a hypothesis. I, I think that people who are playing solo are probably wanting more – um, mechanical meat than like thematic immersion. Like, you want a theme, and definitely you can do story elements in a solo game, but anything that it requires a degree of theatrics, even if it's entirely within your brain that you're trying to imagine what would a barbarian do in this situation in which you're having to create a sort of narrative, I think that would be more difficult to to really establish without an environment of other players. Now, I know there are, like, choose-your-own-adventure stories that involve dice, and I know there's even solo RPGs, but I, I think hard mechanics are probably most often going to be preferable than more interpretive thematic games if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think Gloomhaven is a wonderful example of this. You know, very few people play D&D by themselves. Right. But a lot of people play Gloomhaven by themselves. Right. Totally. Because Gloomhaven is much more mechanical, the way the cards play off of each other and the kind of the tactical combat. You know, there is some narrative. There are you know different events that happen, some different story based things. But for the most part, it's I'm going to spend the next hour trying to figure out the, the way to puzzle out this combat and use the magic system to the most efficiency and that kind of thing. Uh, and also recently I saw a poll in one of the like solo gamer Facebook and somebody asked this question They said what are you looking for in a solo game and one of the top things was mechanics over theme or over story and i was like that's really interesting to so a lot of people that you know they're sitting there trying to puzzle out okay what's the most efficient way to use these cards what's the best way to have this card combo with this other one you can really take a little more time and really think through okay what is the best possible play right now and not feel like you're wasting other people's time and so yeah i think you're, you're definitely on point with that
0: Well, I mean, we've covered a bunch about these two hunted games, but do you have anything that you can share about the future? If this project is successful, if people do want more, like, what are some of the ideas that you have cooking for this series?
1: Yeah, so... There's, a, there's three that are really, like, I'm super excited about. There's, like, four of them. There's a fourth one in there that uh, I'm working on that I'm not sure yet. We're, we're going to see how it works out. But okay, three okay. Particular. At
0: first, I thought you were going to be like, there's three that I'm excited about. The fourth one, eh, I could care less. I'm still going to put it <laughs> out there, but pff, whatever. <laughs> no, no. That one sucks.
1: Yeah, now I'm excited about it. I just hadn't figured out how to make it work right quite yet. It's on. It's on the cusp, but it it still needs a lot more testing. But the other three, I'm I'm super pumped because they work. They're 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 fun. One is actually, and you heard it here first. I haven't told anybody about this, so you can get a little exclusive on this. Oh, Uh, so my wife. Yeah, my wife uh, has, has been playing these games, playtesting them, kind of helping me out and, with different things. And um, the other day, this is a while back, but she she said, Why has it always got to be aliens and terror? Like, you're always just shooting stuff and blowing stuff up. Like, why can't you have a different theme? Mm-hmm. And uh, we were just chit chatting and things. And I thought, Well, what if she's a big Pride and Prejudice fan? I was like, What if I did a Pride and Prejudice version? There you go. And she said, nice. Yes. Yes. Do that. And so uh, but I'm actually it's going to be a two player game. That was not going to be so well. And that one, one of you is Elizabeth, one of you is Mr. Darcy, and you're going to figure out how to fall in love uh, before time runs out. And it's, it's the same <laughs> card mechanism, but it's two people playing at the same time and they're passing notes and they're dancing. And you're you're basically trying to fall in love before, you know, before you, you run out of time. So hunted Jane Austen. Exactly. <laughs> and so it's a little different. Obviously, the art style is going to be a little different uh, on that one to appeal to a slightly different demographic. It probably won't be called hunted. Uh, it'll just use the the hunted core mechanisms and and whatnot. Uh, but are you are being hunted? You know, there's there's debutantes trying to get Darcy to, to marry them. And there's uh, all the different suitors trying to marry Elizabeth. And so you're, you're trying to you're, you're avoid them and, you know, use gossip to the best of its ability to get them to leave you alone and things like that. But uh, so that one I'm excited about. My wife and I are. It's actually a co-design for us on that one. And then the other two. One is, it's, eight, it's you're the kid, You're a kid in the 80s, and you're trying to get away from the evil monster that's chasing you through the mall. And you, you know, the cool thing about that one, the deck it flips over, and so sometimes you go into the other side, which is another little homage to a recent pop culture uh, phenomenon. And so huh. the, the cards are, yeah. No, right. So all the cards, you know, are multi-purpose. But then they're also you flip them over. And now you're in the other side of the mall. And so things are different. You have different ratios, different cards coming out, different art styles, stuff like that. Uh, and then one's in a more traditional kind of like dungeon crawler kind of thing where uh, you, you can plug in different uh, monster sets. Like, you know, you might be running from a dragon. You might be running from the ogre, you know, different things like that. And so that one's kind of a little more campaign based, actually, where you're going through the game and, and you can level up and you find different equipment, and different items and things like that. So that's kind of more your your traditional dungeon crawler Type deal. So those are the ones I'm I'm working on. Uh, super excited about all of them. Again, I hope this this Kickstarter does really well because the uh, the next ones uh, could be really cool as well. Uh, hopefully, people will will want to want to play them.
0: You know, one of these things about Kickstarter, you know, and your podcast and my podcast, you know. There are so many games coming out, and there's so many great games coming out, and these sound like really exciting and interesting games that could end up being someone's favorite games out there. But also, now that Kickstarter facilitates so many more games to come out than there ever has before, I'm not so much worried about a gaming bubble, so to speak, but I do wonder if having so many games released and so many designers making these games and and so much access if you have ever thought about how the abundance impacts the intrinsic value of an individual game like do you ever think about that as a player like man games when i was first getting into it they were so special and like one game i could get so many plays out of but if you're trying to keep up with New designers, new artists, new games that are being released, and they are great. Like, they're phenomenal games. They they should exist in theory, but at the same time, with so many wonderful games, it kind of limits the opportunity for any game to be that one that is like the cornerstone of someone's collection that they play. 50, a hundred times, something like that. Do you ever think about that? I don't know. Maybe I just have anxiety about everything.
1: <laughs> no, I've definitely given it a lot of thought. And it's another reason why I wanted to get into solo gaming, uh, and solo designing solo games. I think this is an underserved community and underserved part of gaming in general. Uh, there's, you know, there's lots of games that have a solo mode, solo version, but there's not that many overall, just strictly solo games. So I feel like that's another, uh a place that you can, you know, as a designer, you can jump into and really serve the community. And I've had so much fun getting involved in the community and part of the Facebook groups and, you know, getting to know different people that love solo games. And you know, they only play solo games because of their their job or because of their family responsibilities or because they don't live near anybody you know that also games. And so it's been really cool just to get involved with that community and to serve them the best I can. I want I want to make the best games possible for those people, right? That play solo games because that's all they got or just really love re- really love this aspect of the hobby. And I think that's something for designers to think about is how can you kind of niche down maybe a little bit more and, and stop trying to design a game for everybody and just design a game for a certain sliver of the community. Because what's cool about gaming, it's it's growing so much that now a niche of the, the hobby is still a whole lot of people. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can do really, really well, even, you know, n- niching down and, and, and designing only for, you know, X percent of, of the hobby as opposed to saying, oh, okay, this is for half of it. Like, no, this is for like 2%, but 2% of a, you know, <laughs> millions and millions of people. That's still a lot of folks. And so I think that's something to think about as a designer. And then how can you stand out with the art? How can you stand out with kind of the mechanisms and the way the game plays? Not that everything has to be super innovative and brand new and unique and never done before. Not, No, you can definitely borrow from you know other games and other ideas. But how can you do things in a new way? As opposed to making just another zombie game, You know, can you do something like Dead of Winter did and make it from a totally different angle, totally different perspective? And, and that's one of the things I think about a lot. It's like, okay, every theme has been done before or anything worth doing for the most part, but how can you do it in a way that hasn't been done from a different angle, different perspective? So I think it's just something to think about as a designer.
0: You know, I think you and I are on the exact same wavelength here. And it was something I was thinking about when I was uh, working on a review for PAX Premier and how specific of the game it is and how unabashed it is in what it wants to be. And in a way, it was able to release itself from the shackles of trying to appease everyone. Like, so many games that that have military conflict on the board are trying to accommodate a wide range of players in order to make it a little bit more nice or a little bit more easy to learn or a little bit more of this or a little bit more of this or hybrid, hybridize all sorts of different styles of gameplay. And... I think one of the great achievements of the game, whether it's really your type of game or not, is how much it's able to lean into like a core vision and be the best of that that it can possibly be, and then say, hey, this game ain't for everyone, but if you do like this kind of game, we're trying to make the best one of those, instead of just being, I don't know, random dudes on a map game with some engine building, X, Y, and Z, that so, so many games try to be. So I think we're on yeah. the same wavelength.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. And this is something I, I learned from Jason Tagmire over at Buttonshot Games. Because one of the things he brought up on his podcast episode that I did was that a lot of people say, okay, well, I like this game, but I wish it was for three players or for four players. Right. It's only a two-player game. And his response is, there are so many games. For three or four players, go play that. Go play another game. Like this is for two players. And if you want to play an amazing two-player game, that's what this is. It's two-player only. Period. And we're not going to do a thir- third third-player expansion. This game is made for two players. And we're going to lean into that with everything we have. And I think that's a great way to do things. Now there are so many games out there that if you're trying to appeal to everybody, like you're saying, you're, you're probably going to appeal to nobody. And so you might as well just lean into what is this? Like what? What is this game best at, and how do you highlight that as much as you possibly can? So what I'm doing, you know, this is a solo game, and I had some feedback come in. Somebody said, I th- he, the guy said, I think you missed the opportunity to make this multiplayer. I was like, cool, I appreciate that <laughs> feedback. I don't think I missed anything though. This this is a solo game only. Period. Right. There, you know, there's lots of multiplayer games out there you can go play and get, you know, an experience and have some fun with. This is only for one player, and so I'm just leaning into that with everything, and it's it's. I think it's going to be better overall.
0: And hey, that dude is going to get hunted Mr Darcy later on, you know, <laughs> later on down the road. And That's who right. knows what could end up coming out of that. There could be multiplayer hunted games. That just haven't emerged yet, but this is sounding like a really exciting project, and I'm so glad that you came onto the show to talk about it. Gabe, are there any other things that you're working on, cooking up over there in Honduras?
1: Yeah, this is the main stuff. Uh, You know, the podcast is rolling along. We just hit our 150th episode, which blows my mind that 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 just happened, and so uh, I'm having a lot of fun continuing to do that. There are some other games I'm I'm working on, Uh, some other games I'm pitching to publishers. I'm not only doing my own stuff now. Kickstarter is wonderful, but there's also a, a definitely definitely a Place for working with uh, other publishers out there and so got lots of stuff nothing I can really talk about but uh, this is kind of the main main project right now but I'm super excited about it I'm Really, really hoping it does well and uh, it'll be on Kickstarter October 15th alright thanks for coming on to the show Gabe yeah I really appreciate you having me
0: as always, The Cardboard Herald is a completely free service focused on spotlighting games, gamers, and game creators. You can find all of our podcasts, including The Cardboard Herald and TCBH Reviews, on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website. For more recommendations and reviews, you can also head over to our YouTube channel. We do not pay to advertise the show, so please continue spreading the word, following, liking, rating, and doing all the social media things. It truly does help us out a ton. If you'd like to drop us a line and maybe have your listener mail read on air, find us on Twitter, at herald Herald or send us an email to cardboardherald at gmail.com or click the contact link on our page. Once again, thank you for listening. I've been Jack for the Cardboard Herald and you keep on gaming.